Exit for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. Everybody. Welcome back to all new, all different Uncanny X's for Podcast, where we examine the Uncanny X-Men comic book franchise during the 80s mutant mania through titles like Dazzler and the Defenders. I'm your host Jonah. I'm Dylan. And I'm Nico, and we really, really hope you survive the experience. And I mean, like, we don't want to see anybody die. We want to see you all survive the experience. But then I can't quite figure out why we're covering the reading list we're covering on this show. I want to start by saying I'm a big fan of Dazzler. I love Dazzler. I'm a good queer. Dazzler's awesome. I love her weird scarlet spider face paint. And I love her horrible ombre. And I love her weird disco fashion outfits that made no sense for 1983. But I gotta be honest. This book sucks. Yeah, um, it's really unfortunate that Alison Blair is getting this treatment. She's just not given the TLC that a character should be given. Any character, no matter how good or bad someone might think it is or how marketable a team would think a character is, it's not really an excuse to not give a character the full love and attention that they deserve. Why even write them if you're just going to half-ass everything? And Dylan, if I'm not mistaken... One of your many amazing internet groups is dedicated to Dazzler, correct? Yes. And like you, I love Dazzler. And Yeah, you're super attached. Yeah, I, I would say Dazzler is in my top 10 of X-Men characters. And like you said, I love Dazzler. But these early issues of hers, I want to say maybe it's the mistake of having a bunch of different writers, but... Back in that time frame, there was lots of comics that had different writers in every issue, and some of them, or most of them, could keep a story going for different characters, but it just doesn't seem like that's happening for Dazzler. And I actually have a theory on why. For this episode, I think we're going to have to take a break from our normal way of approaching any one of these stories, and I think we're going to need to take a look at this reading list holistically. So, without further ado... Let's take a look at the contents. Dazzler 3 by DeFalco and JRJR and Dazzler 4 by DeFalco and Springer sees Dazzler performing for a charity gig where the light mutant tries to stop Dr. Doom from stealing a Merlin crystal. She fails, and Doom sends her to another dimension to retrieve another one of these crystals in which Dazzler faces off against Nightmare to obtain it. Dazzler 5 by DeFalco and Springer has Dazzler recovering in the hospital from her recent escapade from Doom. She helps a vigilante hero Blue Shield fight some criminals and reunites him with his mother. Dazzler 6 and 7 by DeFalco, Figueroth, and Springer has Dazzler go country to perform at a university, where she gets the help of Bruce Banner who is trying to steal research on genetics. Things go awry as Dazzler has to face off against the Hulk. 
Dazzler 8 by DeFalco, Figueroth, Springer, and Coletta has Dazzler save her manager Harry from Techmaster and his goons. Dazzler 9 through 11, also by DeFalco, Figueroth, Springer, and Coletta, has Dazzler kidnapped to be researched by Project Pegasus, and she is not happy, despite the efforts of Quasar the Hunk. She fights and absorbs a foe made of pure sound, Claw. With this newfound power, Galactus kidnaps Dazzler and tells her to capture his ex-Herald Tarax, who is hiding in a black hole. She succeeds and is transported back home. None of these stories were able to be described as resting solely on the merits of Dazzler. Now, I'm not saying that I wouldn't expect to hear a villain's name come up, but these weren't Dazzler's villains. These weren't Dazzler's characters. The first two issues read like a Fantastic Four story, and instead of sending Reed or Franklin or Sue or Sharon Ventura. I think at this point, Fink might have been dating the second Ms. Marvel, Sharon Ventura. Instead of sending one of them, they sent Dazzler to the other dimension. This Blue Shield story reads like a random desk issue. The Hulk story reads like a Hulk story that had Dazzler like shoved in, like they took like a really meaty annual and pulled out the damsel in distress and shoved in Dazzler instead, who I'm convinced that Dazzler actually has a second alternate alias, Damsel, and she's just <laughs> constantly sitting on the floor. Issue 8, what, issue 8 is too stupid. Issue 8 is like champion's level of stupid. I don't even know what the fuck I just read. Issue 8 was like, it was, issue 8 had some moments that actually made me cringe. The point at which Dazzler just sat on the floor and didn't use her powers really did cross a line for me into an offensive treatment of women. And again, that really made me think maybe that wasn't a Dazzler issue to start. And Look, I know the the Galactus issues are classic, but I honestly think, again, they read like that could have been Kitty Pride, that could have been Jessica Drew, that could have been Carol Danvers, that could have been Rick Jones, that could have been... Hell, it could have been Flash Thompson. I don't care. But none of these stories had a binding element that was Dazzler as a person. Now, Dylan, I know you've read a number of these issues before, and again, like we just said, you are the guy who knows Dazzler. It has to be particularly jarring for you reading these stories where Dazzler lifts out with an uncomfortable ease. Literally, none of these scream Dazzler or scream, this is only a mutant story or something like that. It could literally be replaced with anyone it's like they just had stories and they're like who are we gonna say is the main character but it could be anyone i i agree with that jonah what did you think uh well i didn't really think much of these issues and that's (laughs) saying something i think you both just make really good points i think the problem with dazzler is she was a product trying to be sold and it felt like they were trying to cut corners to make Dazzler popular by having characters that were already established and well-known and popular appear in her stories to make people buy them, to make people interested in her character. But a lot of it just really falls flat because Dazzler in these issues has this weird protagonist plot armor that everyone just kind of seems to like Dazzler. And even well-known villains like Galactus take a liking to Dazzler for no real apparent reason outside of she has the quote-unquote heart of a true brave warrior or something along those lines. 
Well, and one of the things that I definitely want to piggyback onto that with is I frequently feel like she plays this victim damsel that everybody feels the need to take care of her, even villains. Even Doctor Doom is kind of like, I mean, you're pretty flossy fancy if you ask me, dazzle damsel doodle bop. So here's where I want to pivot this and get that. I want to get really far away from that impression just now. Now... Dylan, would you say you have any experience with Doctor Doom outside of this? I have a little bit, but not as much as others. Jonah, correct me if I'm wrong, but from what you've seen of Doctor Doom, would you feel it's a decent description to describe Doctor Doom as beef baby? <laughs> yes, Doctor Doom is. He kind of he kind of goes down hard every time, right? Yes. And he keeps getting defeated by, like, statues and Arcade and Dazzler. But, Dylan, correct me if I'm wrong, Doctor Doom's supposed to be scary as shit, right? Yeah, he's supposed to be one of the biggest, baddest villains in Marvel. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not so scared of Beef Baby Doctor Doom. He, uh... He's got that little crispity snap, but at the same time, I don't feel like he's that threatening. And while we're at it, there's something inherently misogynistic about thinking that I would feel like if I'm reading a story about a female superhero that I want to read a story about an elderly mom in X-Men Stevie Hunter, a random human civilian that's that's attached to the X-Men and their story, she was an award-winning dancer, and she's vital, and she's young. And the X-Men don't stop for shit. Here, Dazzler's like, Oh, hey, this dying old lady's a mom! Let me help the mom! I'm Dazzler! Mom! Why is this book a misogynist's field day? I really like that you made her Midwestern, and every time I see her father's name, I think of very Southern charm. The Honorable Judge Cotter Blair. Like, that's how I, I imagine his name is always said, <laughs> and I have to say it in that exact tone. Like, you can't just say Judge Carter Blair. No, it's Judge Cotter Blair. Like that. But you're a judge, Blair. A judge. But, okay. <laughs> um. That wow. Oh. Okay. Uh, you know, I ne- I never uh. thought that reference would ever be made on this podcast. But you know what? <laughs> I'm here for it. Number one, I have two unrelated. Okay, I have like seven unrelated things to say. I really thought that in issue four, when they introduced <laughs> Leiloa O'Malley, <laughs> and they were like, wow, you're a Hawaiian Irish lady? And she was like, yeah, I'm one of a kind, and I appear this one time. Bye. I thought that was really funny. I thought it was really horrible when a couple of pages later, Dazzler's like, no, my mind won't defeat me. I'm a big girl now. The line of dialogue is, I'm a big girl now. That's... Like, that choke on your hamburger, that's terrible. So, I do need to point out, though, that I think one of the craziest fucking things in the entire world 
is that Dazzler has a catchphrase of "Go for it!" <laughs> like, like, like she's a secretary. She's an anime protagonist. You have Allison, go for it. Yeah, I feel like if she was maybe a teenager, some of these things would be easier to bear. But no, 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 no. Okay, so by issue eight, we're starting to get like rage itchy you know when you get so angry that you need to like scratch your fucking chest off because like you don't know what else to do by issue eight i was starting to realize a pattern that i think is at the heart and the center of our argument that early dazzler is mistreated we already see the seeds of a great character but we're starting to feel like she's not really shining and i think issue eight contextualizes why i understand that i'm constantly clamoring for better treatment of women from an era that didn't understand the concept of women receiving any kind of fair treatment. The number of women working in comics in the 1970s and 80s is abhorrently low. And what's more a shame is that so few of them were allowed to work in directly creative fields. And at the end of the day, women weren't being allowed to tell their own stories. It's impossible for their voices to be captured correctly. But Dazzler really is barely ever in her own book. Issues one and two really feature everybody but Dazzler. As a matter of fact, other than Dazzler's flashback, the story sequences that stick in my mind from Dazzler one and two are the guy going up to the Enchantress and being like, I just want to look at you, make me a tree! And the thing being like, Hey, Johnny, we going to this concert? And Johnny being like, Yeah, sizzle, sizzle, this is my ass. And Thing being like, <laughs> because that's every conversation the two of them have. And then the big fight sequence at the end. And, oh, and some Spider-Man. But like, Dazzler doesn't show up in those stories in my head other than maybe the flashback. Issues three and four saw kind of the fulfillment of the promise of Johnny and Dazzler. And kind of in the only way that ever really matters, Johnny and Dazzler doesn't really go anywhere and 3-4 saw a little bit more of it, but again, that felt like it was probably a Fantastic Four Doctor Doom issue that Dazzler was inserted into. I felt that 5 was about no fucking body. It could have been anyone. It didn't matter. It was a very, we have this to pad a, a, a noir anthology. We have this in the drawer just in case, oh, drop Dazzler in. It could have featured Daredevil. It could have featured Hercules. I don't care. It could have been anybody. Six and seven straight up was a Hulk story Dazzler found herself in. Eight is more about Lance for those first eight pages than anybody. He's this big buff dude and he's in charge and he's, he's the focus of the narrative. And honest to God, it is always about finding a place for the woman whose book it is because they're so busy muscling her out with the men they want to be to get to be with her. Now, I'm not making any sort of sinister comparison there. Most writers do suffer from some element of wish fulfillment. It's just an element of what writing is. So there's not even suffer. Some of us are made greater by it. And I by no means think that it's a judgment of who these men are. But because they're not able to step into the mind of Dazzler, and they're not able to become Alison Blair... We're getting Dazzler from the point of view of the men around Dazzler, even when it's from her perspective. It's so unfortunate that these issues 
don't read like a Dazzler issue. She falls victim to sexy lamppost syndrome. You really could have put anybody else in these issues. You could have made a completely different hero. You could have used already an existing female superhero. And it all fits. Dazzler is not important to any of it because nothing ever relied on Dazzler as a person or as a character. Dylan, how can you rectify these stories with later Dazzler as somebody who's read the annals of her history? When you think through those stories, much like I commented with the champions, do these characters pop back up with great regularity? Do you think to yourself, oh man, I can't wait for that Dazzler Doom square off or for the Enchantress to show back up? It's hard to say, knowing the later day Dazzler's stories. I mean, I can see where she came from with these older stories, but like you both have said, all of these stories could be anyone. Dazzler kind of really only shows up in any of her issues, like at the very end, and saves the day. And that kind of makes no sense. Why do we have a book about somebody who only shows up at the end and saves the day, and the rest of the book is about her supporting cast? The newer, later day Dazzler is super powerful, and you could understand where that comes from, from her saving the day all the time, but her having an actual in-depth story, it's kind of sad with these old issues. And I can't help but think that the one that everybody remembers is unfortunately the Galactus story. Now, Dylan, I think you said you liked the Galactus story the most of all of these like mini arcs. Yeah, to slightly disagree with what you said earlier. I really like the Galactus ones. Yeah, he, just like everyone else in these issues, is in love with her for no reason at all. But it's Galactus, and he seeks out certain people for certain tasks. So I just chalk that up to him being Galactus and knows exactly who he wants for whatever task he needs. So when it comes to the two Galactus issues. I think they're probably the best of these early issues so far. Okay, and I'll even give you that. They're the best of a bad bunch. Now, Jonah, was this your first introduction to Galactus, or am I forgetting a Galactus thing we've read before? So, comic book-wise, this is my first introduction of Galactus, but I know who Galactus is because he is the main villain for the video game Marvel vs. Capcom 3, and that's a game I've played a little bit, so I know who Galactus is, what his deal is, kinda. This is my first introduction of him as a comic book character, and he didn't make a bad impression on me. I completely agree with both of you that I think these three issues were the best of this bunch, but I guess, I because I don't know who Galactus is... I don't know if he was written well, if he was written true to what his character actually would do. If, as Dylan said, he does actually just constantly do search out specific people for certain tasks, that's pretty great that it's him doing this storyline. But I guess what detracted from me from liking it so much is that, one, the servant seemed to fall heavily in love with Dazzler, even though he probably can't understand the concept of love. He's also programmed in a specific way, so... It really weird kind of pushing of why he's so obsessed with her. And then when she's fighting Terax, it doesn't feel like she can actually shine. She's supposed to be really powerful in this moment because she absorbed Claw, a mutant or foe made entirely out of sound energy. And that's a huge power boost, but she's not actually that powerful compared to 
what I would think, like something along the lines of Carol Danvers' Captain Marvel, I would think more powerful like that, but it feels like she can't get a chance to shine because she's too busy fighting off the affection of men. Even Terax is like, I'm not going to kill you, but I'm going to make you my wife and queen. What? At the end of the day, I did find myself saying, what? A lot. I don't think I have a whole lot of feelings about these issues. I feel like Dazzler doesn't really have a personality yet. I'm eager to see where that comes in because right now, yeah, she is really definitely suffering from sexy lampposts down to the fact that she has light powers. Dylan, Jonah, what are your guys' big walkaways from this episode reading list with? One thing that I did like is the introduction of Dazzler being able to make illusions. That's a pretty niche slash neat way to utilize her powers, and it was only used once in the Hulk issues, but I think that's pretty cool to have that pretty powerful um, ability to do coming from Dazzler, and it's kind of just shows that she's uh, the term we've thrown around before, she really is a Clarmazon. Dazzler is a very powerful mutant, but it feels like she's never given the ability to be that powerful mutant. She's constantly being boggled down by different things that don't really help her story or her as a character. Like Jonah just said, uh, it seems like in all every issue that we've read of her solo books so far, she either talks about it herself, that she's more powerful than she knows, or Reed Richards talks about it, or random people who just want to study her for no reason. Um, and it seems like they just keep saying she's more powerful than she knows. Well, then show us. And like, like Jonah said, at least in that Hulk issue, we got to see something new. But quit saying she's more powerful than she knows without giving more story about it stop threatening us with dazzler's potential and give us a sense of who she is and what she can do you've ramped it up enough you've vamped as long as you can play or get off the stage Here at Excess for Podcasts, we don't just love comic books in printed form. We love all sorts of digital media featuring our favorite superheroes. And as such, here is Ex-Vet Kyle with an amazing video game recommendation for you. Hey everyone, Kyle here with a Comic Gaming Minute. While I'm waiting for the latest Marvel game, Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3, to release on July 19th, I figured that I'd talk about the LEGO Marvel series, my current favorite series of comic games. When Traveler's Tale released the LEGO Marvel games, they took the formula that they built in LEGO Star Wars and LEGO Harry Potter and improved it on so many layers. These games are full of gags and jokes, missions based on classic storylines, and a plethora of side activities to complete, puzzles to solve, and characters, including multiple costumes, to unlock. Plus, what's better than being able to fly around as Thor? slash things with Wolverine's claws, web-sling around New York as Spider-Man, or even unlock one of the villains that you previously fought against and complete the same missions as those villains. Also, I have to say, it's super relaxing to just walk around levels, destroying the scenery, and collecting those precious Lego studs and hidden items to unlock characters, vehicles, and other extras. One of my favorite things about the LEGO Marvel games is that each mission has an objective to find the location of Stan Lee in peril. 
He could be anywhere in the level in any kind of situation, all of which tend to be pretty comical. Plus, once you complete the level after finding Stan, you get to hear his classic phrase, Excelsior! Until next time, don't forget that you all can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Drantis82. Bye! My favorite video game series based off of comic books is the Marvel vs. Capcom series. I love fighting games, and this was a series I've been playing for my entire life. I have great fun memories of playing Marvel vs. Capcom 2 with my cousin. We were never good, but we always had a lot of fun choosing from the large cast of characters. That was actually my first introduction to Cyclops, and I fell in love with how cool he seemed and him shooting people with his optic blast. Boy, has that changed. Later on, when Marvel vs. Capcom 3 came out, I was really obsessed with it. I loved everything about it. I loved just the cast of characters from the Marvel side and from the Capcom side. I've played so many different Capcom games, so I was really excited to see who they included and what different characters I'd be able to play. One of my favorite things about that series and why I love it so much as a fighting game is the amount of combos you can do and how long you can keep your combos going. Something that's so satisfying is to see that combo number go up and up and to reach the hundreds and just killing characters from full health it's so it's just so much fun and it's so interesting and it's just one of my favorite series we've had a great time taking a look at some subpar dazzler issues but even the most subpar dazzler issue is still a dazzler issue i always welcome the idea of different and new voices one of the things that the x-men will become overwhelmed by is a sense of legacy and an unwillingness to let go of certain characters. And I unfortunately am part of that group. And man, do I love my Claremazons and I love my classic characters. And even Bad Dazzler is pretty cool. So I've had a good time. Jonah, Dylan, as always, it's a great time when you guys come out and talk about mutants with me. Jonah, until you come and grace our amazing show again, where can everybody find you on the interwebs? If you would like to follow me and reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jonah Rubino and at Jonah.Rubino. You know, I really see why you love why you both love Dazzler so much, and I can see the the seeds, even though they've tried to plant many a seeds of different villains and different things. But I want better for this musician. We'll get there soon. Dylan, where can everybody find you online? Everyone, if you want to follow my personal page on Instagram, I am Warpath underscore Dylan. And if you want to talk about more X-Men things, you can find me at my Facebook group that is called House of X. Nico, where can everyone find you? You guys can find me all over this ridiculous network at shows like Now and Again, where I talk about pop music with my buddy Chris. You can find me over on HTML with my amazing husband, Kevo, Jonah's phenomenal boyfriend, where we talk about all things media. You can find me over on Instagram being kind of thoughty at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Guys, it's been a great time. And until we come back to Gray Malkin Lane, we'll see ya. See ya. See ya.